0: Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. Welcome to the 26th episode of Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor
1: era. And today, Maximilian, the Holy Roman Emperor. And delusional. (laughs) You don't know that. You don't. (laughs) We've had a few, a few episodes where we've gone, where did he think this was okay? (laughs) Okay. So I'm anticipating that's going to continue. We'll find out. Yes. Yes, it is going to continue.
0: <laughs> I like him. I have to admit. not not everything he does, obviously, but I did I sort of warm to him. He, Aww. He, he made me laugh. <laughs> <The> <laughs> people who make you laugh you tend to like, don't you?
1: That's exactly what you want. A clown on the throne. <laughs> But, before we continue, we have the quiz. Mm.
0: It's been a long, long time since we did Louis. It has, it has.
1: Yes, very much so. Quiz. Question one. What was Louis willing to give up to marry Anne of Brittany? He was willing to give up his... Duchydom. Yes, a <laughs> Yes. duchy. Yes. He was willing yes. to give up the Duchy of Orleans to get Brittany. Question two. What was the main issue standing in the way of him marrying Anne of Brittany? Well, apart from the fact he was already married. No, that is it. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> he was married to Jean of France. Yes, reluctantly. What was it? Oh sorry, question 3. What was it about Milan and Louis that made France invade? Louis had the right to the duchy of Milan. Yes, he was the legitimate heir how. through his mother. Right. Yes. Yeah, he was the legitimate heir and somebody else took it over. Ooh, who could have that been? I don't know. 3 for 3. <laughs> When Henry the sorry, number four. Mm-hmm. When Henry the Eighth invaded France, Louis was already at war in Italy. What third party got involved that Louis then betrayed the treaty to Well for my research as a
0: Maximilian, Maximilian is constantly being betrayed. Now was this was this one of his? Probably not. I'm saying because you're shaking your head. <laughs> uh, so who's left? We've got Henry. We've got... It's a country. Spain.
1: No, Switzerland. No.
0: Switzerland. Yes.
1: You keep forgetting they're a thing, but yes, they're definitely a thing. <laughs> I know they, they are They were now. not neutral. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they invaded and he had three war fronts so one of his underlings made a treaty with switzerland giving up a bunch of stuff and as soon as switzerland was out of the country he,
0: he... hadn't asked louis
1: permission no and louis said i'm not doing any of that so switzerland got absolutely nothing well they do quite well under their... maximilian <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> and the last question okay. how is louis connected to henry the eighth uh but well, he married his sister Yes.
0: All right. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, four out of five. That's pretty good. That's not bad
1: considering. It's been months. Yeah. That is enough of that. Let's crack on.
0: Okay. Okay, on to Maximilian. Maximilian, bless him. I've I've (laughs) kept finding, as I was reading about him, he'd do things and I'd think, oh,
1: Maximilian, bless him. (laughs) That's pretty bad when you've got a ruler of a very large area and you're saying, bless him. (laughs) Oh, bless his heart. (laughs) Yes, bless his little cotton socks.
0: Come with me, if you will, to a frozen lake somewhere in the Holy Roman Empire.
1: He falls in, he dies, and that's the end of the story. Thank you for listening.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. "'A man on a great horse is ambling over the ice. "'The horse's hoofs slip and slither, "'but the man is preoccupied and barely notices. "'Remind me where we've got to,' he says "'to a terrified-looking boy on a pony. "'He's having trouble keeping the little horse "'from fawning and throwing him. "'The boy reaches into his cloak with icy fingers "'and draws out a battered manuscript. "'The white king has just leapt to safety "'from the burning castle, "'cradling the terrified child in his arms, my liege,' "'he says, his teeth chattering. "'Ah, yes!' The man looks thoughtful. Next chapter, then. The white king delivered the child to his weeping mother, who fell to her knees with gratitude. All in a day's work, ma'am, he said, swishing back his glorious golden tresses, before adding, and now, on to fight the Turks. You're looking stunned. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Confused. Very, very confused. I came across two very different views of Maximilian. It depends what books you read. I, mean, okay. I read one book that was completely sycophantic. I mean, he couldn't do any wrong. Really? I've, met, I've read others. Well, I haven't, I've read, there were only two books, in fact, but I've read lots of books in which he appears and um, some papers where people just think he's a complete buffoon. So. <laughs> <laughs> I shall try to keep both in mind. Because the German historian Leopold von Ranke described him in 1824 as, quote, a prince of whom we possess many portraits, and yet all seem different, unquote. Oh. And I think that's true. Okay. On the one hand, we have an image of a Don Quixote or Walter Mitty. And both these both the characters were quite funny and poignant. And I did find that. He was funny and poignant. <laughs> and we get comments from like Machiavelli, quote He's very fickle. He takes counsel from nobody and yet believes everybody. He desires what he cannot have and leaves that which he can readily obtain. Therefore, he always takes contrary resolutions and lives under a constant state of agitation. Unquote. Or the King of Hungary. Quote, Why should we deal with him? He's so inconstant. <laughs> <laughs> Starting so many things and finishing nothing. Unquote.
1: That's my craft room. <laughs> I collect possibilities. Yes. That, that's what I like.
0: <laughs> And luckily, we have the other side of the story from Maximilian himself. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Now, well, you have just heard, well, you've heard my rendition of it, but okay. he was a keen, imaginative and prolific writer. Okay. But he was so much besides. He was so busy, I've had to leave out so much stuff.
1: Really? Well, yeah, no, that makes sense. He sort of got himself into absolutely everything.
0: Yeah, he's everywhere, isn't he?
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. For instance, I've had to leave out his interest in ethnology, archaeology, and meteorites. His interest in carpentry. The earliest surviving screwdriver was found attached to one of his suits of armor. Really? That's Mm. cool. His love of newly invented musical instruments, including the Apfel Regal. And if you don't know what one of those is, I suggest you look on YouTube. I'll, I'll put a link on the website. He made fireworks popular in Germany. He was an expert on ciphers. He was interested in large-scale choral music. And since he was always on the move, he brought the chapel as well as his whole peripatetic court with him.
1: What is a peripatetic court?
0: One that moves constantly. Oh, OK. We saw that with, Phil- with Philip. Yes, um, and Charles, to a certain extent, but I think Charles eventually sort of settles down because right, he ha- yeah. he hands part of his his ruling over to his aunt Margaret of Austria, doesn't he? So then he can settle yes. down. But Maximilian barely stays in anywhere for very long. Okay. He developed a new national font, Fraktur, and it was the font to use for the cover of Mein Kampf. Uh-oh. And it remained popular until it was banned by the Nazis for being too Jewish. The central canal in Amsterdam was named in 1615 as Kaisergracht, or Emperor's Canal, after Maximilian. Oh. Whatever else he mi- we might decide he was, he was an incredibly impressive figure.
1: Was he now?
0: I think so. Okay. Maximilian was born on March the 22nd, 1459, in Wiener Neustadt in Austria. He was named Maximilian after an obscure saint who had once warned his father Frederick in a dream of impending danger. Oh, of course. Hmm? Of course he was warned in a dream. <laughs> Frederick thought his son was slow and a bit stupid and even thought he might be mute. But it sounded to me as if poor little Maximilian just didn't dare open his mouth when his dad was around. Because oh. he was anything but mute. When he was in adulthood, he spoke six languages. Wow. He did have a speech defect as a child caused by the deformation of the lower jaw that resulted in an extremely prominent lower lip.
1: Is this the beginning of the Habsburgs' jaws I think Maxinola? so. Okay. Yeah, I,
0: I, got, I wondered that. But then it also reminded me of the nickname of his son, Philip. Lippy. Right. So a Lippy family. And incidentally, a quick side route on the Habsburg name. In the 11th century, an ancestor of the Habsburgs, a warlord built a castle and called it the Castle of the Hawk or Habsburg. That's what Habsburg means, Castle of the oh. Hawk. Maximilian's mum and dad didn't get on at all. His mum, Eleanor of Portugal, was quite happy to slag her husband off in public. Oh, that's mm. not good. No, no, keep it at home. <laughs> and she, said, she said to Maximilian, quote, If I had known, my son, that you would become like your father... I would have regretted having borne you for the throne, unquote. But I'm not Ooh. sure what maybe, I think she's meaning, if I had known, if I had any inkling that you might turn out like that, because he just wasn't anything like his dad. So I think she wasn't saying, if I had realised that you were going to end up like your dad, I wouldn't have borne you. I think okay. she's saying, if I even thought there was a possibility, I wouldn't. <laughs> wow.
1: Yes. How many kids did they have? Does Maximilian have any brothers and sisters?
0: I'm not sure. There's no, no mentioned
1: in any of the things I've read. I haven't looked it up, but... Well, with them hating each other, I'm guessing maybe there is just the one. Well, Philip and Juana
0: had a few, didn't they? And you wouldn't have thought that they would want to yeah. be that close? Yeah. Historians seem to agree with Eleanor about the worth of her husband, which I didn't think was entirely fair. Because when Frederick was emperor the Holy Roman Empire was pretty much just Germany. And that can't really be called an empire at all. It was still a fair size, geographically, yet the emperor's funding only came from his own estates. Oh! And that's the trouble with being Holy Roman Emperor, is that you are above all the princes and dukes and bishops and whatnot that run all these various bits of the Holy Roman Empire, but you don't own the land. They own the land.
1: (laughs) It's not like being a king, where you've you're get, in you charge, have land, really. you've got money. So what is the point? Why would anybody want to be the emperor? Just because of the title? I
0: guess so. I oh. mean, it's quite a
1: hefty, yeah. And maybe
0: you don't realize until you go into it just oh. how difficult it is. I mean, we're talking about Maximilian and his perennial money troubles.
1: Yes. But in my head, that was because he spent it and gave it away irresponsibly. Partly that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And partly that there wasn't much in the first place.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Frederick was only able to retain a small army, sort of embarrassingly small for someone who was meant to be an emperor. Five people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yes, it's like the fleet.
1: This is my army. I have an archer, a knight, (laughs) an infantryman, and this guy, I even managed to get a gun for him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how to use it, but. (laughs) Well, until the Fuggers came
0: along, and more of their fascinating story in a future episode, none of the Augsburg merchants would lend him money, Oh, since they didn't think he had a very good credit rating. And oh. that was because he didn't have a very good credit rating. <laughs> <laughs> so, and even then, the Fuggers the didn't give him money, they gave him silk and wool to give to his tailor to make to make himself something that would look a bit more imperial. you <laughs> <So laughs> oh look a bit gosh. shabby
1: This is like um when you come across somebody who's homeless and you don't want to give them money because you don't want them to have drugs, so you give them food instead. <laughs> mm. I do not trust you to use this responsibly. I am going to give you the item you requested to get
0: or just look at the state of you. Call yourself an emperor here. <laughs> Take this and wrap wrap his hand around the money. Give that to your tailor and get yourself sorted out. So everyone pretty much ignored Frederick and carried on as if he weren't there. Because ideally for the princes of other domains within the empire, the emperor should do as little as possible and not get in their way. So Frederick was just doing what everyone wanted.
1: So he wasn't a strong person then. If he wasn't a strong person, I wonder if Maximilian really was afraid of him, or did he just take it out on his kid? I don't know. I mean, yeah, we don't know what went on
0: behind closed doors. No. (laughs) Maybe he overdid the indolence because he became known as Frederick the Fat. Which is not very imaginative, is it? No. (laughs) But anyway, this does explain the perennial theme of Maximilian's reign. He didn't want to shrink back and hide in the shadows. He wanted to be out okay. there doing, but he didn't receive support from the others in the empire and he certainly didn't receive the sort of funding he felt he was entitled to.
1: Okay.
0: Anyway, back to Maximilian's childhood. When he was just three, he was besieged with his parents in Vienna by Albert of Austria, his uncle. So, happy, A happy,
1: happy family. Happy family, yes. yes. <laughs> Christmas at my house, that'll <laughs> be interesting.
0: Young Maximilian would wander around the castle begging for food from the servants and soldiers. And he became dangerously ill at this time and it was thought he wouldn't pull through. I was thinking it's interesting how many of the rulers around this time suffered hardship in their youth.
1: Yes. We got Henry,
0: we've got Isabella. Yeah. Louis the Twelfth, Yes. And Maximilian. Maximilian's education was by humanist tutors from the University of Vienna. Under his father's instruction, he also learnt practical skills such as horse breeding, horticulture, and woodwork. And you can still see Maximilian's lathe at Kreutzenstein Castle near Vienna. He actually learned how to work wood. That's mm, he was cool. He was very hands-on all his life. Okay. Despite the fact that when Maximilian was 15, his father forbade him to participate in the jousts, just two years later he was given command of a military campaign against Hungary. Along with experienced generals, because Frederick wasn't a fool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He's good with wood. He'll be good with my five army, five-person army.
0: Yeah. He doesn't speak, but. (laughs) And this would be the first of 27 wars that Maximilian would take part in. Wow. Mm. Most of which were offensive rather than defensive, which was why he found it so hard to get money. Because people are far more late to hand over money if they think you're in in trouble.
1: Yeah. than if you
0: just say, right, I want to attack them, now I want to attack them. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, as we said, he led a chaotic or peripatetic life. His empire sprawled across dozens of different princedoms, bishops' ricks, dukedoms, etc., so he just couldn't hunker down in one or two palaces like other rulers. He was on the move the whole time, and much of his correspondence was scribbled on writing desks set up in hunting lodges, and his meals were often taken on the goes. So he had probably a very different life to most yeah. most rulers. Yeah. But that does seem to be the way he liked it. Because he dressed in the clothes of a hunter. He'd be surrounded by all these people wearing their silks and damask and and whatnot. But he preferred just to ordinary hunter's clothes, whatever hunters wore.
1: Is that why they gave him money to buy new clothes? No, that was his his dad. Oh, that was his dad. That was his
0: dad, yes. To try and make sense of this chaos... I'm now going to attempt to treat the rest of his life in chronological order, year by year. Okay. Because usually we do a bit of chronology, a few themes, take a, bit, yes. a few sidetracks, a few rabbit holes. But this time I wanted to show how ludicrously busy Maximilian was. Okay. Admittedly, he was often trying to sort out problems of his own making. <laughs> but, but he was everywhere. So.
1: 1477, my lord.
0: On the 16th of August, Maximilian married Mary of Burgundy. And Mary had a lucky escape, because if Maximilian hadn't come along, Auntie Margaret had decided that she should marry her brother George, Duke of Clarence.
1: Oh,
0: Yeah, you wouldn't want that. No. And Louis XI wanted Mary for his son, but the Netherlands decided to go for Maximilian. And I wonder if they regretted their choice later. I hope so. But this was very much a love match. I mean, between Maximilian and Mary, not between Maximilian and the (laughs) Netherlands. (laughs) Really not. As far as Maximilian was concerned, Mary was irreplaceable, which was quite unfortunate for his second wife, Bianca Maria Sforza. And he once said to Mary, had we but peace, we would sit here as in a rose garden. Which was nice, but they would have had peace if he'd handled the political situation a bit bit more tact. (laughs) (laughs) Maximilian was a prolific writer. Even dictating his autobiography as he crossed a frozen river in a snowstorm. Ah, there it all becomes clear that figure yeah. at the beginning. One of his poems was called Tower and it tells the highly fanciful story of how he faced every danger to reach his love. That's Mary. Okay. He chased Chamois over, over craggy rocks until he came to a sharp peak never before reached by men. Then whoa he slipped and bent his shoe spike, all except one that dug into the snow and prevented him falling. He hunted wild boar across ice. The ice broke, but he just managed to clamber away in time. He was shot at, uh, but this sounds this sounds very Matrix. He leant back just in time and avoided the bullet.
1: Oh, people can't see me trying to mine that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Enemy boats tried to ram him, but he swung on a rope to safety like Errol Flynn.
1: Did this happen, or is this... No, didn't think so. (laughs) No.
0: There's a lot goes on in Maximilian's head. Yeah. Mm, That doesn't actually go on in the outside world. (laughs) (laughs) Frederick had arranged this marriage to curtail Burgundy's expansive tendencies. Or at least if they had expansive tendencies, the Habsburgs should benefit from it.
1: Did they have expansive tendencies? tendencies? Charles the Bold was fighting France, but I thought he was just fighting France because he didn't like France.
0: He was also trying to join up the two, what was there, over here and over there, wasn't he? He was trying to trying to fill in the bit in the middle so that Burgundy and the Low Countries were joined up. I don't know if that's oh. what he's talking about, maybe. Okay. He may have just seen it as a quite a, a wealthy court. I was about to say a wealthy country, as we know. It wasn't a wealthy country, but it was a wealthy court. <laughs> yes. Um, and so you know, they're obviously going places. So. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I think he saw it as a way to give the role of Holy, Holy Roman Emperor some teeth at last. Because then you would have territory as well.
1: Yes, yes, very true.
0: Well, Charles the Bold saw his daughter's marriage to Maximilian as a way of enlarging his clout so he could break away from France. Because then you've got someone else behind you to, yeah. to yeah, to raise armies and things. It did bring with it problems since Louis XI of France had his eye on Burgundy, and so a rivalry was set up that would last, well, on and off pretty much indefinitely. So Charles the Bold also saw another advantage linking his duchy with Fredericks. The Holy Roman Emperor had the power to create principalities and even kingdoms, and Charles the Bold did so want to be a king.
1: Oh, okay, that makes sense.
0: Mm. It didn't happen though, and I'm not sure why not except that Frederick would have been an idiot to raise such a powerful man as Charles to the status of king and make him a potential rival. And also, Charles the Bold died in this year in the Battle of Nancy when he
1: had his face eaten off by wolves, if you remember. Oh, but then if he had raised it, then Mary would be a queen instead of just a duchess. Hmm, That's true. I would have done it.
0: There just wasn't time who died quite soon after.
1: 1478, my lord.
0: Philip the Fair was born. Philip!
1: 1479, my lord.
0: Not much happened in 1478. Perhaps a lot of <laughs> nappies to change, I'm not sure. <laughs> the French laid claims to Burgundy. Sir so Maximilian defended his wife's land and defeated the French forces at Gienagate. Gienagate? And it was his wife's land. The wedding contract between Maximilian and Mary stated that only their children had the right to inherit from each, not not the surviving parent.
1: Wow, really?
0: That's unusual. Yes, I think so. I presume that the people running the Netherlands, the Low Countries, must have thought we need to protect our country. We yes. don't know what this man's like.
1: Yes. Well, they, soon, they soon found
0: out. <laughs> so perhaps we have to protect it from... Him. From him, yeah. Yeah. But Mary had tried to bypass this rule by promising to transfer territories as a gift to Maximilian in case case of her death, but she wasn't allowed to do this. And I'm not quite sure what would have happened if Maximilian had gone first, since Mary had already ruled alone, so you would think that they would assume that Mary could take over, but that wasn't the case anyway.
1: 1480.
0: A daughter, Margaret of Austria, was born. More nappies. (laughs)
1: 1482
0: a very sad year for Maximilian well and Philip and Margaret as Mary fell off her horse and died and I'm not sure Maximilian ever got over that
1: you don't really think of that but horses killed quite a few people Mm. William, William of Orange William and Mary did he die on a horse? He died off the horse. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, yeah, the not little... many people die on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> the, the horse tripped on a molehill and threw him.
0: Oh, the little gentleman. The, yes, in the, the velvet little little velvet gentleman, the mole. Yes. yes. Yeah, I'm not sure Maximilian ever got over that. They'd only had a few years together. He had to agree to let the States General act as regent for Philip, which he was reluctant to do. He was also forced to allow the betrothal of young Margaret, two years old, to Charles VIII of France, which right. he was also reluctant to do.
1: I would be too.
0: Mm. The attitude of the States General was much more conciliatory to France than Maximilian was. And I think part of their concili- concili- conciliatoriness, <laughs> conciliatoriness thats it was born from their hostility to Maximilian by that point. Okay. They became aware that Maximilian's war with France was no longer defensive. It had become offensive. And then they pulled the plug on the finances, which will prove to be the story of Maximilian's life.
1: Okay. We're almost getting somewhere and then nope. Or just, I'm... Yeah. Yeah. 1483.
0: A decisive year across the Channel. Edward IV died. Edward V presumably died. Richard III took over and Henry Tudor was lurking in Brittany having attempted a raid on England which was meant to link up with the Duke of Buckingham's Rebellion but after a stormy crossing Henry had just turned round and gone back. Richard was on the throne and he was not at all impressed that the Bretons were supporting Henry. The Duke of Brittany was very ill and his representative Landais agreed to surrender Henry Tudor to Richard III. And this was not an entirely selfish move on Londay's part, although Richard did promise him the funds from Henry's confiscated earldom of Richmond. But Londay also needed to get English support since the French were circling. Okay. Some of the Breton nobilities were in an open state of rebellion against Londay and had appealed to Anne of France to intervene. Londay at this point entered into negotiations with Maximilian in case you begin to wonder what this had to do with him. Yes,
1: I was kind of (laughs) wondering, we're pretty far afield here.
0: And I'm not sure if you misunderstood the situation or whether this was a deliberate ploy, but Maximilian's response was to get Louis, Duke of Orléans, to come to aid Brittany. Now, in your episode, we heard that he fled to Brittany and then he and the Duke of Brittany both called in Maximilian. Yes. So whichever way it was, Louis's intervention put the spanner in the works of franco breton Relations it's difficult to tell which way round it went hmm Maximilian saw an opportunity in this situation to embarrass the French by aiding Brittany and to this end he sent an embassy to Richard the Third in which he pro- he provided reams and reams of instructions. I think that was an ongoing thing that if you got if you got an um, a missive from Maximilian, it would be several pages of him telling you precisely how to do it. Wow, okay. Richard said that he would be quite happy for Maximilian to mediate between him and the Duke of Brittany, but only on condition that Henry Tudor and his entourage were sent back to England. Well, Maximilian had no reason to feel anything towards Henry. Why would he? Who is this Henry person anyway? Yeah, they
1: hadn't interacted and he wasn't a king yet.
0: No, he was nobody, really. Yeah. And Maximilian needed Richard's help. I don't think that Maximilian could see any reason why the Duke of Brittany wouldn't give up Henry. It's a a sort of pragmatic move to do so. Yes. It was at this point that Henry, warned by John Morton, thought it best to get out of Brittany and head to France. So I think in Jasper Tudor's episode, we blamed Londé for Henry's predicament, and he was partly to blame, but it was Maximilian whose actions led to Henry having to get out of Brittany quick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder who Henry blamed. We don't hear about that, who he blames for that. I mean, they do link up later,
0: so, yes. but that may be because you have to, don't you? You have to do yeah. this sort of constant changing of partners in this European dance. Yes. Apart from that, Maximilian spent 1483 trying to go to war over Liège and Artois. But as usual, he was finding it hard to persuade people to stump up the money. But not to worry, because he found another way to get money. He debased the coinage. Oh no, mm. don't do
1: that. that Never do that. work.
0: And this had a disastrous effect on what we've already seen was a, the pretty ropey economy of Burgundy. Of
1: course it did. Mm.
0: Bread prices went up by five times and not surprisingly, there were revolts. Oh, it feels like right now. Mm-hmm. The States General were not happy with him and this is when they united to form a Regency Council and started passing Philip about between them.
1: Yes, I wonder what had started that. Mm. Well, it's Maximilian's.
0: (laughs) It's behaviour. The authorities of Ghent started minting their own coinage, presumably to counteract the damage Maximilian had done with the economy, and these coins only carried Philip's image, not Maximilian's.
1: Mm.
0: And he was deposed as head of the Order of the Golden Fleece. Oh, you've been booted. He was not a happy bunny.
1: I wonder if we know of anybody else who got booted out of the order. Well, he didn't get booted out of the order. He was just no longer the head. Was he allowed to stay in the order? I don't
0: know. He just says he's not the head anymore. Hmm. That's even worse because you're there and there's somebody else is the head. So,
1: Yes, looking at you as if you're the one that's the problem. Hmm. 1485.
0: Maximilian spent fourteen eighty five campaigning through, throughout Flanders, forcing one city after another to surrender. I mean, this is his own country, effectively, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was a brutal campaign that made use of German mercenaries called Landsnechts, and they were led by Martin Schwartz. Schwartz, Martin Schwartz. He was later to die at the Battle of Stoke, fighting for little Lambert Simnel.
1: Yes. And the song that's going through my head is from The Shadow of the Tower. It's Henry VII sitting down, not actually in the battle, tapping his fingers and singing about Martin Schwartz.
0: (laughs) Oh, right. Uh, I've only seen the first one of that. I must watch the rest at some point. So when we learn in Philip's episode that this was a dangerous place to be due to marauding soldiers all over the place, these are the ones brought in by Maximilian. Well done. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Fourteen
0: eighty-six. this was a busy year for maximilian in april he was elected king of the romans sort of at his father's instigation but more that everyone said that frederick was incompetent and needed the support of his (laughs) rather more go-getting son (laughs) but they probably said it to him as if tell you what why don't you call your son in you know it could be a father and son team it'd be really good yeah and he thought oh yeah they obviously like like my family, and only they just yes like, go away. But that was all Maximilian had—just his titles. And what use? What use were they to anyone? Because there was no land to call his own.
1: So they yeah. came with nothing, just the titles.
0: Just the title, no mm. land, no money, and moreover, his appointment was not sanctified by the Pope, since Innocent the Fourth was disgruntled by what he saw as an infringement of papal rights. And oh. this sounds very petty, but I suppose the Pope had to make the regency respected. Yes. It would be quite easy for rulers at this time just to ride, ride rough, roughshod over the papacy. Yes. When Maximilian received the kingship of the Romans, he was meant to pledge allegiance to the Pope. And then it's traditional. Ment- Maximilian didn't do it. Uh-oh. I don't know why he didn't, but he didn't do it. Because Henry, if you remember, was very quick to pledge allegiance when he became king. Yes. Since that at least gave him some legitimacy. Yes. But Maximilian didn't do it. He then started using the first request. And this gave him the right to appoint people of his own choice to clerical offices. Oops. And he would have been allowed to do this anyway, but you were meant to ask the Pope for permission. It was meant to be a privilege, not a right. Right. And Maximilian didn't do it. (laughs) The popes then started suggesting that the election might not be valid. And Charles VIII, seeing a chance to get back at Maximilian, also questioned its validity. And you'd have thought his dad would have pushed Maximilian into pledging obedience. But Frederick had issues with the pope himself. Oh. And we... we, it's a bit of a pain. We've recorded the Malleus Maleficarum episode out of sync. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we will find out that Wil, that Wilhelm Kramer, who's, who's the writer of Malleus Maleficarum, had to stay in prison because he criticised Frederick's oh. messing about with the papacy. Oh. So there we are. We're at this point. And
1: okay. that's, why
0: the, that's why the Pope forgave Kramer. Because he backed up his privileges and his rights. Yes. Then Maximilian raided northern France with the help of Spain, Brittany and England, which was now being run by that bloke that who had to escape from Brittany after Maximilian had promised to hand him over to the enemy.
1: Sorry, who? Who are we talking about? <laughs> this is Maximilian, I'm thinking. Who? Who? Yes. What, him? Yeah. Oh, I, I think I remember hearing something about him. Wasn't he running away? <laughs>
0: But Maximilian had to pull out because he ran out of money.
1: Yes, no money.
0: Even though he was king of the Romans, he was still reliant on Burgundy for funds. And they must have got so fed up with him because him and his troops had decimated the country. And he kept asking for money to fight France.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: Hmm. And father and son were now at loggerheads because Frederick thought Maximilian was too incompetent to run the empire. And Maximilian True. thought his, da- his dad was too slow and cautious. True. Also, <laughs> Maximilian was fighting the French and saw that as the priority, whereas Frederick was fighting his own battles with Hungary. And to make it worse, Frederick wanted Burgundy to fund that too. Oh. So Burgundy must have thought they were onto a good thing, joining with the Habsburgs. Whoops. But they didn't realise what money-crapping <laughs> monsters these pe- these Habsburgs wow. are. Yeah.
1: 1487.
0: Still more problems on the papal front. But at least now, both sides appeared to be conciliatory. The Pope asked him to help on his crusade against the Ottoman Turks, and Maximilian agreed, but the Pope insisted on secrecy because he didn't want to show openly that he was corresponding with Maximilian when he still hadn't received his pledge of ob- obedience. Mm. I, yeah. just, <laughs> just say it, just, Maximilian, just say it. <laughs> you don't have to believe it, just say it. It's thought that Charles VIII had threatened the Pope by claiming that he would support the King of Naples if the Pope found in favour of Maximilian. Okay. Finally, in October, Maximilian sent a missive to the Pope pledging his obedience. Finally. Even then, he only pledged for Burgundy and Austria and he didn't mention being King of the Romans and that was oh, what all the fuss geez. was about in the first place. And for some reason... I can only assume it's because the pope needed Maximilian's help with the Turks. The pope let the subject drop. <sighs> it seems indicative of Maximilian's personality that whole escapade.
1: He yes. thinks just do it. Get it done. It's fine. 1488.
0: Possibly a less busy year since he spent 3 months captive in a spice depot in Bruges. <laughs> what? <laughs> We heard about this in Philip's episode that he went to Bruges. He was told to leave. He had to leave his army outside and he was going to Bruges to negotiate. And then he found himself locked in a spice depot.
1: (laughs) At least he smelled
0: good. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a grim time. Not only did he have to watch his entourage being racked and decapitated outside his window, but he was in real fear of death or being handed over to Charles VIII, which Uh... might have been the same thing. He had his faithful jester with him, who offered to change clothes with him and escape. And I quite like the idea of Maximilian escaping (laughs) with a sort of three-cornered hat with bells on and a bladder on a stick.
1: You look like a clown, (laughs) now you are a clown.
0: But Maximilian refused, as he didn't want to put his jester in any peril, which is nice. Yes. Although when you think about it, this story can only have come from Maximilian.
1: Right. (laughs) Because... The jester didn't make it. He was
0: decapitated too. Oh, You can't decap! I can still see him in the hat being decapitated.
1: Mmm.
0: Maximilian wrote to his father saying, quote, They will give me poison to eat and so kill me. They're taking all my people from me. This is my last lesson for good and all. I beseech you in the name of God and justice for counsel and aid, unquote. And for once, Frederick pulled out all the stops to rescue his son. And I'm sure he did it because he loved his son, but he also must have been considering that he was his only heir. So we know he only had one. (laughs) He didn't love his son. (laughs) So if he wanted a dynasty to continue, he was going to have to get Maximilian out of there. Oh, my goodness. He got together 20,000 men, which is a hell of a lot of men. It's a lot more than five. Well, I began to wonder whether it was a misprint and it should have been 2,000, but it said
1: 20,000. And where is he getting the money and the people? Are these mercenaries, Mm. or are they people from his own lands? I'm not sure. I mean, 20,000
0: mercenaries would bankrupt them, I would have thought.
1: Yes. But again, Maximilian
0: has got his lands next, so I suppose they're, Hmm. they're there. Also, the Pope placed an interdict on Bruges, which shows that there must have been some sort of rapprochement between Maximilian and the papacy. Yes. But just the news that the forces were on their way was enough to make the rebels change their mind and open negotiations with Maximilian. And before the army had even got there, Maximilian had agreed humiliating terms, which he promised not to repudiate once he'd been released. Right. Right. Yes. But one of the terms was that he renounced the guardianship of Philip and agreed to make peace with France again. He was released and joined his father, whereupon... He repudiated the agreement. Of
1: course, he, he
0: did not follow through with anything. Well, in his defence, it was contrary to his coronation oath. Oh. So he was sort of torn between two oaths. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. The interdict was lifted in November, and the reason we know this is because it was written in Burke Hart's diary. Now, he's the one we liken to C-3PO And who used to get so exasperated with Pope Alexander VI's lack of interest in etiquette? Hmm. And it was this diary that was strangely missing a few pages following the murder of Juan Borgia. Yeah,
1: Mm, I
0: remember. It is worth mentioning that between 1488 and 1492, Maximilian offered no obvious support to any of the Yorkist plots, despite constant nagging by Margaret of Burgundy. Okay. He preferred to concentrate on his own political agenda in opposing French expansion into his territory. In September, Duke Francis of Brittany died, leaving an 11-year-old daughter, Anne, in the guardianship of Marshal de Rieu. Charles VIII claimed that he was Anne's guardian due to common kinship, so de Rieu tried to marry Anne off as quickly as possible to save her from Charles. But Anne didn't like the person he'd found for her. His name was Anna Dulbury, and he comes back later. Anne shut herself away in Rennes with a force of the inevitable German troops. So on December 28th, France declared war on Brittany. French troops seized a few cities, but Henry the Seventh, Ferdinand and Maximilian came to Anne's aid. But then some of the Breton nobles changed sides
1: and joined the French. Confusing time to be in Brittany, I think. It's a confusing time constantly. Hmm... When we talk about any sort of war, there is so much back and forth and betrayal, it's really hard to keep track of. Yes, Maximilian takes betrayal very badly. And when you think, it's sort of
0: par of the course with these things, yes. isn't it? He, he really hates being betrayed.
1: Yeah, but why are they surprised? That's what I, I don't get. It happens every time. Mm. Why are you surprised this occurred? 1489
0: on July 22nd, Maximilian signed a treaty with France which stated that the Brittany question should be referred to a papal court for arbitration. A truce was signed calling for hostilities to end in Brittany until 1491. Immediately following this treaty, France stepped up its attack on Brittany. <laughs> Maximilian, aided by 6,000 men under Lord Dobney, who had been sent over by Henry, won a victory against the French at Dixmude. But it was all in vain Because Maximilian was soon bought off by Charles, the Treaty of Frankfurt was signed by both men, and the gist of it was that Charles said he would use his influence with the Flemings, and they would settle the Burgundy question. Okay, I'm not quite sure what the Burgundy question was. Except that they didn't. Burgundy didn't want Maximilian,
1: but they also didn't want Charles. So they don't want
0: Charles. No, they they want Philip, really, don't they? I suppose. Mm -hmm. As a result of this treaty, Flanders again recognised Maximilian as lawful regent and guardian of his son and granted him the sum of 300,000 gold thalers. Oh, jeez. Don't give him anything. Sometime this year, Maximilian attended the Frankfurt Trade Fair, where he met a man who was to have a huge impact on his life, Jakob Fugger, the financier. Maximilian wouldn't have been able to achieve anything like what he did achieve without the help of the Fugas.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's because he had no money.
0: Yeah, it's not as if the Fugas did it out of the kindness of their heart. (laughs)
1: 1490.
0: In March of this year, Maximilian married Anne of Brittany. He sent four proxies for the betrothal, which seems a bit excessive. Do you mean to send (laughs) four proxies? (laughs) Were they expecting three to... Pass away on the journey? I don't know. Ah. Alan Dalbray, the former suitor of Anne of Brittany, was incensed that he'd been jilted and entered into a secret agreement with Charles VIII, offering him the keys to the principal city of Nantes.
1: Oh. Hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: I remember this now. Yeah. Charles took Nantes and several other cities until the only independent city left was Rennes which was defended by Henry and Maximilian's troops. Mm -hmm. Henry offered a fleet of ships, 15 this time to make a fleet, to take Anne away to safety. And she refused. And it's thought that she assumed that her husband would come and save her. Her husband (laughs) Maximilian. (laughs) Nope. But time went on and the unpaid troops started mutinying. The city was running out of food and still Maximilian didn't come. Unfortunately for Anne, he'd got embroiled in a war against the King of Hungary. And it was a war that was probably of more interest to Frederick than Maximilian, but Frederick may have pointed out that he did help his son out of that little bit of bother in Bruges. Mm -hmm. So he owed him, but... And he wanted to regain the family's traditional lands in Austria that had been taken by Hungary. And Jakob Fugger was happy to finance the venture. Vienna capitulated without a fight. Maximilian then pushed on through to Hungary... The Hungarians were were already fighting with the Turks, so they just they agreed with Maximilian to give trading rights to German merchants. And as usual, Jakob Fugger did extremely well out of his investment.
1: They they make an interesting team, Jakob Fugger and Maximilian. I'm trying to figure out how he made good money out of that investment. Like how much? How did they come to an agreement of how much he's going to get? How much Maximilian's going to get? Yes, or and how much, much Fugger? Both. How do they decide? Fuga does very well
0: out of it because Maximilian gives him things. Okay. Because he can't, he can't pay back money because obviously yes, he hasn't got any. Yes, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. But he has got other things. Mines, cities. Oh. Yes. So I was confused. I thought, well, when is he ever in a position to pay back any of these loans?
1: That's what I was wondering.
0: But he has stuff.
1: yes. That Mm. makes
0: sense. Not necessarily really belonging to him, but yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I never had this before, so I won't miss it. Here we go. Yes. It's yours now. Anyway, that's what Maximilian was
0: doing while his wife was waiting for him to rescue her. And you can see that he must have felt to one in two because both wars were important to his dynasty. Yes. Anyway, Anne was advised to marry Charles VIII. And we'll see how that all panned out in Charles's episode, given that they were both married. And Maximilian and Charles to Maximilian's daughter Margaret. Yes. But on the plus side, the Pope finally gave Maximilian the privilege of first request. The, quite a formality, since he'd been exercising that privilege for three <laughs> years already, <laughs> and was probably the least of his worries. Yes, <laughs> he probably got the letter saying, "Reepee, you've you've now got the uh, the privilege of first request," and he probably thought, "Don't bother me with that." Yes, I'm busy. <laughs> 1491. Maximilian tried his hand at being on the other side with the money-lending transaction for a change. With what? Well, I'm not sure. I like he probably borrowed it from somebody else first and then lent <laughs> it on. But he lent money to, the, to Empress Sigmund of the Tyrol. I I don't know who that is. I think we might do a cameo episode on him because he's, he really does seem like a laugh a minute. He does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The deal was that if Sigmund didn't pay up within three years, Maximilian would get the Tyrol. Sigmund didn't pay up, and Maximilian got the Tyrol. Okay. So, I mean, Maximilian has found someone even more gullible than he is. <laughs> <laughs> but I wondered if there might be more to this, since if Fuga had lent him the money, he would retain his his position because he was one of Fugger's clients as well. Okay. But Fugger refused. And I didn't read it anywhere, but it occurred to me that the whole thing might have been cooked up by Maximilian and Jakob Fugger together. Because my theory, for what it's worth, is that Maximilian and Fugger planned that Fugger would imply to Sigmund that the money was practically a formality. And Sigmund, who doesn't seem to be in the brightest button, (laughs) just fell into the trap. All Fugger then had to do was tell Sigmund that nothing had actually been promised. And Sigmund was trussed up like a kipper ah so with maximilian head of the tyrol fugger could make use of the fact that maximilian couldn't have done it without him right yes yeah, so it's good to have people who are beholden to, to you, you. Hmm. yes that done maximilian turned his attention to burgundy the french had it and he wanted it he would need mercenaries for that so he went to jacob fugger for the usual loan And as collateral, he offered Henry VII's pledge to give him 200,000 florins. I'm not quite, I can't quite remember why (laughs) Henry was pledging it this time, except that Henry did seem to dole out quite a lot of money to this. What year was this? Uh, 1491. Yeah, as collateral, he offered Henry VII's pledge to give him 200,000 florins. Fugger didn't say no, but he didn't hand over the money either. He wanted to be sure. So he sent spies to England to find out what was going on. And these spies discovered that Henry hadn't sent any money and presumably had no intention of doing so. Now, whether the money was a figment of Maximilian's imagination, I'm not entirely sure. Perhaps it was.
1: Maybe. Mm. A lot of things seem to be a figment of his imagination.
0: It really does, yes. Fugger then refused Maximilian the loan, which infuriated Maximilian. And he couldn't believe that Henry, whom he'd always seen as a reliable cash cow, had let him down. <laughs> and as we've, seen, we've already seen When Maximilian refuses to believe something Nothing will change his mind No So he drummed up the money from somewhere And sent out a small He drummed up somebody from somewhere And sent out a small force Miraculously because he had more cannons than French He actually won <laughs> <laughs> And he'd nearly reached Dijon When he realised that it was true Henry wasn't sending any money Oh. And in fact, the French had bribed Henry to keep out of it. Oh, so, not, yeah, not only was he not sending money, he received he was getting money. money. Mm. And Fugger bribed the French not to bankrupt Maximilian, because he was the Fugger's <laughs> cash cow. <girl. laughs> yes. So it's a nasty, it's a dirty business.
1: Everybody bribing <sighs> everybody else. What a confusing. I... <laughs> How would anybody honestly know that what they've requested and what somebody has promised is actually going to happen at any time during Mm. this period? Everybody is stabbing everybody else in the back.
0: Well, that's why I, I sort of warm to Maximilian, because he just he doesn't seem to realize that any of this is going on. Right. And he doesn't unless unless he lied to Fuga about this money, it doesn't seem like it. He always believes the best, I think, at this point. Not later. He has a bit of a mental dip, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think he looks back on his life and thinks, well, nothing of ever rubbish. Worked. Yes. <laughs>
1: 1492.
0: Henry seventh War with France seems a bit odd. It was the biggest invasion force that had been seen that century. 15,000 men, 700 ships... Yet it didn't set out till November, right at the end of the fighting season.
1: It's always weird to me that there's a season for yeah. fighting. I understand the reasons, but fighting season. Yes. <laughs> and people are
0: looking forward to it. Oh, it's nearly fighting season. <laughs> Part of the reason for the delay could be laid at Maximilian's door. And Henry did lay it there. But as we've seen, Maximilian did have one or two other things to be getting on with.
1: So why was it Maximilian's fault?
0: Because they, he was, uh, Henry was waiting for Maximilian. And Maximilian was saying, yeah, I'll be long in a minute. I'll be long in a minute. Hang on. Oh. And he was busy doing so many other things. But Maximilian had managed to secure funds for this French campaign and men from the German princes to launch a simultaneous attack from the east. What were they going to get out of it? What would they get out of it?
1: Um, good question. Good question. Because so far, like he has been successful in some of his battles, but mm. we would have had to give them something. Probably his wife. <laughs> mm, we haven't got to that bit yet. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm That's not horrible. sure. Horrible.
0: <laughs> As the English were laying siege to Boulogne, Maximilian's army were in the process of capturing Arras on their way to meet up with Henry. Okay then they were going to push on into France together. That's the plan okay. Whereupon he heard that his so-called ally Henry had sealed
1: a peace treaty with Charles VIII, the Treaty of Etaples Is this because Maximilian was late that they sealed the treaty
0: well we've seen, we've seen why he sealed the treaty. Well, for start, he gets fifty thousand crowns yes. out of it. <laughs> But there is another reason, which we will come to, and which we know only too well. (laughs) But he didn't even inform Maximilian. He didn't tell him.
1: Why would you?
0: (laughs) And Maximilian was left, quote, sitting between two chairs, unquote, as one of his commanders put it. What does that mean? It meant that he was, you know, on his way to France. Already he got the money, he got the men for once...
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: he was just left standing there with just turned right yeah yeah he felt that henry had behaved very badly towards him but Mm -hmm. she had yes and he was fuming and this is where it all began so how to revenge himself on henry when it turned out that auntie margaret had just what he needed a very nice young man whose hopes had also been dashed by the Treaty of Attarbre since he had had to leave the French court. And as long as Maximilian had had an alliance with the English king, Margaret had hesitated to push her white rose forward. But now there was nothing to stop her. Mm. It seems if only Henry had told Maximilian. I mean, all he could have said was, you know, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry. I know what I said, but circumstances have changed. And 50,000 crowns is 50,000 crowns. I mean, yes. Maximilian knew that more than anybody. Yes. And he could have said, incidentally, even Charles is quite keen to get off to Italy. And so there's a magic money tree over here. So come and <laughs> stop picking. <him. laughs> but I didn't tell him. As Maximilian remembered it later. In the years when he made peace with Henry, he had not been especially enthusiastic to meet Margaret's protégé anyway. Quote, the son of King Edward came to the White King and asked for help, because Maximilian also refers to himself as the White King. Why? He's got names for everybody.
1: Oh, OK. He's, got the,
0: white, he's the White King. Uh, Henry's the Red and White King.
1: Sorry, in my head I'm thinking Philippa Gregory.
0: Charles, I think, is the Blue King. So, yes, he refers to everybody, and he always refers to himself in the third person.
1: Oh. (laughs) That's very much a sign of mental stability. Yes, I mean, yes. Yeah, Margaret Thatcher used to do that. The son of King Edward...
0: (laughs) (laughs) The son of King Edward came to the White King and asked for help. He told him that he wanted to inherit his father's kingdom and reminded the White King of the alliance that the White King had had with his father concerning him and his children of which he was one the white king complied with this request the white king was not very keen on this when i say he refers to himself as the white king he really does he never even says he
1: oh my goodness
0: (laughs) the white king was not very keen on this as he was well aware that the matter was not very solidly founded for he knew well that the new king that's henry was highly agreeable to his people unquote and that's what that was. What he said after the whole thing was over. Okay. And he was trying to be friendly with Henry. Maximilian told Perkin he'd think it over. So he he didn't leap into this with you know straight away.
1: Which is surprising to me. That is surprising. From all the scheming and stuff, I thought he would have been. This is great and jump in. I think it
0: was a slow burner. Maybe Margaret kept saying yeah, but we realize this that, and the other, and then he thought, ooh. Uh, he could suddenly okay. see yeah he could suddenly see the usefulness of keeping the english king in a state of suspicion as he put it oh that
1: makes sense because then you can constantly get money from him because mm. you're not actually giving him a yes or a no yeah okay i can see that and in april 1493 there
0: was a rumor at the french court that maximilian intended to try to quote make king of england the boy who calls himself the son of king edward who fled thither and to give him his daughter that's margaret to wife in order to make perpetual war on france
1: unquote. "really he was going to marry his daughter to perkin and i don't think it actually even met perkin by this point when he'd
0: made all these plans
1: and he's not even saying in that statement it makes it sound like he doesn't believe it cuz he says the boy who calls himself the son of edward not just the son of king edward
0: Yes, I don't think he ever believed it, and we'll come. I've got a list of reasons why he would do it anyway, because okay. quite often, when, but in the Perkin one, we we thought we constantly thought, why? Yeah, this is just a um, you know a, a rod to beat his own back. But there are quite a lot of good reasons for for ploughing on. Okay, and I don't think he ever knew who Perkin was, but he wasn't going to admit that. But he knew, he was convinced he knew matters hidden from others. This is Maximilian, including the true inward nature of men that he met. And he called this the secret knowledge of experience. And we're getting back into Pico land now for people who are patrons and had <laughs> <laughs> heard all about Giovanni Pico. And maybe that's why he always seemed to be so put out when things go wrong, because he thought he could read people and they didn't always act as he predicted. Right. So Maximilian would have looked at Perkins' character since he believed that personality came from hidden stars. I mean, they were all at it, weren't they? Yes. Frederick had dabbled in alchemy and apparently been very successful at it. Now, I don't know what, quite what that means. I don't I don't think it means he filled the coffers with gold. No. What does it mean to be successful with alchemy? That's... I think that it means you've managed to convince other people you can do it. Yeah. Maximilian believed in a sort of alchemy of man's character, and he had a master of secret instruction who said that on these occasions of high decision-making, he did not call Maximilian a man, he called him time, for his pupil had gone so far beyond the limits of ordinary men that his master had no more to teach him. And you think, if Maximilian is taking his political advice from this man, his master Hmm. of secret instruction, it's not surprising he got into so much trouble. Yeah. Two weeks after their first meeting, that's Maximilian and Perkin, the Milanese ambassador reported that Maximilian was already working on a compromise between Edward's son, supposedly, and Henry. But the English king remains mistrustful, he said. I think, well, yes. Yes. (laughs) Henry probably knew a lot more about Perkin than Maximilian did because he'd already had it for a couple of years already by this point. He'd followed his progress from Ireland to France.
1: And he had all those spies. You haven't mentioned that Maximilian has the same kind of spy network yet. I don't know.
0: You don't hear about Maximilian's spies. You hear about Fugger's spies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe he's a bit more intelligent than yeah, I Maximilian. feel that
0: Maximilian is a sort of newborn lamb in amongst these wolves. <laughs> really. Yes. But Perkin was new to Maximilian. He'd only just turned up. Huh. And we know that for Henry, he was one of the reasons, if not the main reason, for signing that Treaty of Etaple. Right. He was hardly going to tell Maximilian that. In August, Frederick died of a surfeit of cold water and melons. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I mean, you'd think it would be red wine and... Medicine, yep. wouldn't you? If <laughs> no. you don't
1: know what they died of, they died of a surfeit. <laughs> they died of a surfeit. <laughs> well, they say that's what killed him, but I,
0: I, I think that must have been the last straw because he'd been ill for a while and had actually had his foot amputated. So, ooh,
1: oh, I don't know. It might have
0: been diabetes,
1: possibly, living. but oh, uh, yeah, no painkillers. Mm. Oh no. Mm.
0: And Perkin, if you remember, attended the funeral as a special guest.
1: So right. that's how that's
0: how quickly things have moved on. And due to his father's death, Maximilian became de facto head of the Holy Roman Empire. And the elections must have gone without incident, because none of the sources I looked at said any more than this. And I think because he was king of the Romans already, the emperorship had been pretty much promised him then. But again, like the king of the Romans, what did being Holy Roman Emperor actually mean? I mean, he, he's not a proper ruler like Henry or Charles. No.
1: Well, wait, does he have an area? Like, the Holy Roman Emperor is pulled from a group of princes. So I'm assuming now that his father's dead, he does have a pocket of land. It's not the whole empire, but he should have.
0: They have, their traditional land is in Austria. Okay. And they've had, they had to fight to get that back. Oh. Which is what he was doing before when he... When he should have been or perhaps should have been saving his wife from Charles VIII. Mm, yes. Okay. Which was why it was sort of difficult. I mean what do you do? Do you save your lands or save your wife? He'd never met her, I don't think. Because he sent those four proxies instead. Yes. So I don't think there was a an
1: emotional connection there. I sure hope not.
0: So Henry found it impossible to believe that Maximilian aided and favoured what he called such a deception as Perkin, with any sincerity, and it was quote derogatory to the honour of any honourable prince, unquote. That's what Henry thought. Mm -hmm. And such, a course, would add nothing to his reputation and bring him, Henry said, even less profit. So he knew where Maximilian's heart lay.
1: (laughs) Right where his was. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Profit. And Henry said to the Richmond Herald in March 1496 that it was Maximilian's wish for, quote, another king in England whom he can use himself and put in our place to help him succeed in his business, unquote. So Henry never thought for one minute that Maximilian believed that Perkin was genuine. Right. So why did Maximilian side with Perkin? Well, I've thought of 13 reasons, so... <laughs> <laughs> one, Henry made peace with Charles the Eighth and had left Maximilian high and dry, and that was definitely the trigger for the whole thing. So revenge. Revenge. Number one,
1: Revenge. <laughs>
0: Two, Maximilian had a claim to the English throne that was at least as good as Henry's. Really? Because, yeah, he could trace it back to John of Gaunt like everybody else. Like everybody else,
1: yes. (laughs) Absolutely everybody else.
0: Three, Perkin had offered Maximilian the throne of England if he, Perkin, died childless. Right, I remember that. Four, Auntie Margaret was insisting on it, and Maximilian was very fond of Margaret. Really? He called her the old lady. Aww. Five, Maximilian would have a puppet on the English throne. Yes, that makes sense. Six, Perkin was a useful bargaining chip for the Holy League.
1: Why? Why was he a chip? Oh, right. Never mind. (laughs) I can answer that one because Isabella and they were trying to get him into the Holy League and they were trying to get him to give up Perkin. So he was getting more and more concessions out of Spain to join the Holy League in Italy.
0: Yeah. And on top of that, seven Maximilian gained expedient marriages with the Spanish court on the understanding that he dropped Perkin. Yes, with Margaret. Eight, Perkin had been to Frederick's funeral. Maximilian could hardly backtrack and say that her commoner had been a special guest at his father's funeral. Oh, saving face. Yeah, I think that'd be quite, quite important to someone like Maximilian. Yes. Nine, it was in the stars, and Maximilian, like most of the rulers, was very superstitious. (sighs) Ten, Maximilian enjoyed the thrill of it all and annoying everyone. (laughs) I think he liked to be the centre of attention.
1: You can add that to all the rest. That's automatic, (laughs) and everything else is just an additional bonus. Eleven, what did he have to lose? If Perkin won,
0: Maximilian had an ally on the English throne. If Perkin lost... He could just drop him. Yes. Very true. Twelve. His father had thought he was a fool. Maybe his father was right. (laughs) (laughs) And thirteen. Maximilian liked Perkin. People liked Perkin.
1: Yes. Yeah. Everybody seemed to like him. I mean, he ingratiated himself so much with James that James gave him money even when they weren't getting along. And a co- his cousin, I think. Was his cousin? I
0: think um, Catherine Lady Gordon. Lady Grey? Mm-hmm. Yes. Or Gordon. Why do we yeah. keep
1: calling her Lady Grey?
0: Yes, Catherine Gordon. That's all the reasons why Maximilian may have chosen to side with Perkin. I mean, there was mm-hmm. a lot in lot in it for him.
1: Yes, it which was. Which I don't
0: think we spotted when we were talking in Perkin's episode. It just seemed... Not at just all. Just thought, who is this loony taking this side? <laughs> <laughs> well, now we know who this loony is. It's, it's Maximilian. And it makes total sense. It does. On a happier note, Maximilian got married again.
1: Yay! Well, for him, it's a heavy note.
0: <laughs> this time to Bianca Maria Sforza. She had been orphaned at an early age and was offered to Maximilian by her lovely uncle Ludovico. And he was keen to make an alliance with Maximilian to legitimize his rule over Milan, yes. which, as we saw in Leonardo's episode, was based on even flimsier claims than Henry's had on the English throne. Yes. I'm not entirely sure precisely how it legitimizes his rule, except to say, don't mess with me or I'll set my son-in-law on you. And he's the Holy Roman Emperor.
1: It would also bring him up in status because he's now married the daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm. So it might just be status and power rather than... Well, no, the Holy Roman
0: Emperor Emperors, married his niece.
1: Oh, niece, yes.
0: Yeah. So that was what was in it for Ludovico. But what can possibly have been in it for Maximilian? She had a substantial dowry. <laughs> 400,000 ducats. Wow. Hmm. I'm not sure where Ludovico got all this money from, but he, Maximilian had money coming to him from all over the place.
1: And yet he was broke all the he time. He was
0: broke all the time. In fact, the happy couple didn't meet until a full year after the wedding.
1: Wow, that's also awful.
0: Yeah, Maximilian had been represented by a liegeman at, um, at the wedding. Their marriage was not a happy one. She'd effectively been sold to Maximilian because he had no reason, real reason to want to be linked to the sources. But that's the case for every marriage,
1: really. The... Well,
0: there's usually some sort of linking of lands or
1: political... Okay. and this was just money. That's how it seemed to me. And he would blow through it pretty quick. <laughs>
0: Yes, and then he was still stuck with Bianca Maria. He made no pretence of liking her. Ah, He made comparisons between her and Mary, his first wife, saying she was, quote, uneducated, talkative, naive, wasteful with money. Sure. And yeah. careless, unquote. All things that could have been said about him, really. Yes. He said that she, quote, remained all her life a child who played while sitting on the floor, unquote. I don't think she had Goose and Cape on trouble. I think she was, you know. Just uneducated. He just, he just didn't like her. Yeah. And Maximilian didn't let her get, get control of her own finances. So one minute she lived in luxury, the next her court was desperately scrabbling about for money.
1: Oh, really?
0: And he spent as little time as possible with her. She'd already bought him the money. I mean, she'd done her a bit.
1: Yeah, but she could still give him another heir. Well, he already
0: had Philip and Margaret, and he yeah. also had Charles and Ferdinand, the grandchildren, so yeah. he, was, he was all right on that score. He didn't need that, I don't think. Hmm. And I wondered whether Philip may have seen the way his father treated his wife and thought that was what marriage was. might well, explain his treatment of Juana. I don't know. Mm. You just want to smack him. <laughs>
1: 1494
0: And hooray, we're back in 1494, and Charles VIII (laughs) is about to invade Italy again. In order to give himself some breathing space to go to Italy, Charles handed Artois and Franche Comte over to Maximilian, and I think they were part of Burgundy before.
1: Okay, so just don't invade me, I'm busy. Yeah,
0: I'll give you this. Just keep quiet, keep away. Maximilian could have done with a bit of breathing space himself since he was levying troops to take on the Turks in Upper Austria.
1: Yeah. And I've got it
0: quite interesting to find. I don't know what the Turks are doing in Upper Austria, but I presume you do since you're doing sort Sultan of, Mehmet.
1: Because this Mehmet's already gone. Yeah. This is his son. So we will be covering him as well. So, Patreon. This is a plug for Patreon. <laughs> Our next person is Sultan Mehmet. And then his son is going to be added to the roster because it really does affect Europe in every way. And mm. does hit back against England just for the fact that crusades are called and that kind of thing. England doesn't join them, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't join anything. <laughs> you think about it. You'll send a few people, but you won't actually send an army. It's just, if you want to go, you can go. No, I'm not giving you money. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go, you can go. That's the. you can have talking Lord to people.
0: That's all you can yes. have. <laughs> yes. That's our answer to everything. Just send out Lord Dobney. <laughs> <laughs> Maximilian was obviously wavering a little over Perkins since in September he made inquiries of his own. And this was two months after the Herald sent by Henry had stood in the streets of Moline and shouted about Perkins' tournay origins. Right. And Maximilian asked a member of Philip's council to ask around merchants doing business in England, quote, what people in England think about the Duke of York and what people are saying, unquote. And when they found out they were to send Maximilian a report, would that have made any difference to Maximilian's actions? I very much doubt it. No,
1: no, it wouldn't have. He
0: got, he got to know him quite well by that point. They'd would um, they been traveling together, living on sauerkraut and sheep wine. And I mean, that's quite a bonding thing,
1: isn't it? Sauerkraut uh, and sheep wine. <laughs> no. Well, sorry, what is sheep wine? Are you saying sheep as cheap, in the... Cheap, cheap, wine. Cheap. Cheap, mm. okay. Sheep wine is a little oh, no. weird. <laughs> Did they get that from the use of the ram? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness!
0: Well, they were going. They went from castle to castle between v- Vienna and Brabant together.
1: Okay, mm. that's a lot of sauerkraut.
0: It is. <laughs> I hope they had something <laughs> else as well. <laughs> well, it might explain why Maximilian. We never hear about Maximilian getting gout, and everybody else seems to.
1: Yeah, he's eating a lot of cabbage. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, he seems to be quite down to earth in that respect.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I mean, you can't imagine whom oh, I think. Who can I think of? I don't think I don't see Philip as a sauerkraut and cheap wine man.
1: No, and I really can't see Henry chowing down on turnips at every single turn.
0: No. The plans for Perkin to invade England were treated by Maximilian as, quote, certain secret affairs of our own pleasing, of which we do not wish to make further declaration here, unquote. So, secret.
1: Secret.
0: Shh. Money borrowed by his treasurer had to be
1: laundered secretly through the treasury at Lille. <laughs> in my head, I've now got a bunch of women out on the creek batting the money in the creek <laughs> for washing it. It's clean. <laughs>
0: I just got this sort of boy's own spy type thing going on. The largest loans were authenticated, not just with Maximilian's signature, but with a secret code that was half Greek, half Egyptian.
1: Oh.
0: And by July the 11th, Maximilian had to admit that he couldn't get to the diet. He called it worms, worms, probably. We'll call it worms because it's funnier. Let alone help the, the Venetians against the Turks. Quote, because he was impeded by the burden of much expenditure and by having to dispatch the Prince of York, the new King of England, for the defence of his right, unquote. So, so much for secrecy. Yes. You <laughs> he, he find this quite a lot. He says things, this is a secret, This is and just blaps it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and a diet is a meeting, it's not a... It's,
0: yes, it's a Congress or a Parliament. Some, um, there was a quote by the man who wrote the book on Fuga, I can't remember his name, um, saying that it was like um, a Congress or Parliament, except they met less often and had more fun. <laughs> <laughs> because they did, there's a lot of jousting and feasting and whatnot. Yes.
1: I wonder when diet changed from that kind of meaning to the type of food you eat.
0: I don't know. Is there a link? I don't know. And it certainly hadn't been a secret from the imperial estates since Maximilian had been nagging them for money for it. When Ferdinand and Isabella heard about Maximilian's plans for the invasion, they went to Ludovico Sforza in the hope that his uncle-in-law might be able to knock some sense into (laughs) Maximilian. Which seemed a bit naive, I thought. Yes. We know what Maximilian's like when people say no. He digs his heels in. And Maximilian instructed the Tyrol to find 16,000 florins as counter-security for a loan to be raised through George Gossenbrot, his financial agent in Antwerp. Quote for the young king of England for the conquest of the kingdom, unquote. A fleet and troops were mentioned, but the good folk of the Tyrol refused. And I I think I quoted this in Perkins' episode, but it's worth repeating as it shows the relationship between Maximilian and the rulers of the various parts of his kingdom. Quote, we asked Gossenbrot to come to us and describe the situation, and we assessed with greatest care whether we could find some way to comply with your wishes, as we have always been willing to do before. And we find that George Gossenbrot cannot underwrite the amount your majesty demanded. Also, we feel that your imperial majesty had this project put into his imagination with little reason, <laughs> <laughs> and that something has been demanded of you that will bring damage to yourself and the whole German nation, Therefore, your majesty should not go deeper into this matter, so we cannot help you further.
1: Yeah, mm. Somebody's told him off. You know, but yes, get a grip, Maximilian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the
0: other thing that was preoccupying Maximilian was that he hadn't been crowned by the Pope.
1: It's important to emphasize just how important this was to him. It was important to quite a few of them. They went out of their way to get to Rome to be crowned.
0: Yes, I mean, on a pragmatic level, the Pope's blessing would give him more legitimacy, mm-hmm. which he'd need, if he would f- fulfill his destiny, that of mounting a crusade against the Turks. And he did feel that was his destiny. Yes. But it went beyond that. Maximilian was convinced that the blessing would magically give him the power of the early Roman emperors, like Charlemagne, for instance. Magically. Magically. He really saw it as a, a magic crown, in fact. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Ooh. Also, he was terrified that Charles VIII's the invasion of Italy, was a ploy to get to Rome first and nab the imperial crown for himself.
1: Oh, I wonder if it was. Or even an inkling of that. It, I don't...
0: I don't know. It's not something I've come across before, but it's the sort of thing they do, isn't it?
1: Maybe when we get to Charles's episode, we'll get to that. Because I've only looked at it from Louis's point of view mm. and from Isabella's, and neither one of them mentioned that.
0: No. Well, word got back to Maximilian that Charles had been wearing imperial robes. I don't know whether that was true, but word got back to him about it. So.
1: <laughs> did word get back to him or did he just have a dream?
0: <laughs> I don't know. But the electors would never have voted in a Frenchman. So he needed to worried really. To get to Rome, to get the magic crown, he would have to take down Florence. And it was, that's the country, not, not a poor young lady. And it was <laughs> under the control of Girolama Savonarola.
1: And where is Bianca at this point?
0: We don't know. She's put aside somewhere.
1: We haven't mentioned two things that we discussed before. The fact that she was left as security for a loan.
0: We haven't got to that point yet. Yes, that comes in part two.
1: And I noticed you haven't mentioned that he contacted the King of Denmark for ships for Perkin. Never found that. No, that's (laughs) odd, isn't it? (laughs) That's I, I why must I'm have, starting to think it's dreams. <laughs> I must have missed that. <laughs> Did you miss it? I didn't find it. I went looking.
0: <laughs> mm. Well, he had to get to Florence and it was under the control of Girolama Savonarola, whom we've hardly mentioned in our main episode, but is an old friend to the patron episodes. Mm -hmm. Savonarola had welcomed the French, mainly since he saw their arrival as a vindication of the premonition he'd had, with God's hand coming out of the clouds clutching a sword. And taking down Florence would be a doddle, since Maximilian had been categorically promised help by Venice and Milan, and his son Philip had pledged to keep the French occupied in Burgundy so as to split the troops.
1: Okay, it sounds reasonable. What am I missing? Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for this to go sideways. No one turned up. <laughs> That's definitely sideways.
0: <laughs> Nobody turned up at all. And even worse, no, Philip <laughs> didn't hold up his side of the bargain either.
1: His own son. His, his own son. son.
0: <laughs> this happened again. Oh, this poor guy. <laughs> yeah, first Henry VII let him down. And now this. And on wow. that sad note... You will leave part one. I think I forgot to say <laughs> at the Isn't beginning. Sad this, is, this is a two-parter. <laughs> to know.
1: Wow! So yes,
0: he was left. He, had to, he just had to go home. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, that's like, you know—if he had set See, up his own birthday, you're
0: you're close to saying, "Oh, bless
1: <laughs> bless his heart." <laughs> I I can picture him setting up his own surprise birthday party and nobody arrives. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, I found this all the time. You just think, oh, Maximilian. You poor guy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there are many reasons not to like him. Yes. but I found quite a few to like him. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the end of part one. And we'll do part two. We'll put out part two next week.
1: Yes. And
0: we'll get to find out whether... Bianca Maria Sforza, was ever redeemed
1: from that <laughs> pledge. <laughs> the question that's been sitting around since we first came across that.
0: Yes, which was last spring, I think. Wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Mm. I'm hoping. Okay. Hoping. <laughs> that's the end of the first part of Maximilian, the poor deluded clown. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. We'll see
0: more delusions and clownage next time. <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.